So, like I said, um, my name's Jo, um, I'm part of the team here, um, and I'm going to be continuing. We are, um, we've been looking over the last few kind of months, I guess, um, working our way through the book of Revelation and looking particularly at the message that Jesus gave for the seven churches. Um, Although this is the seventh church, it's not the end of the series, so there's a few churches that we've got to go back to and um, uh, find out what Jesus was saying to them. But um, we're going to be looking at the church in Laodicea today, so that, um, if you want to flick to it now, is um, chapter 3 in Revelation. So we'll get to that. Um, So for those of you who don't know me, because I I realise that some of you will know me, some of you won't... um, I moved up to um, the northeast about a year and a half ago um, and joined this church along with my husband Mike who, who led us in communion and we just felt like a call from God to come up um, to this area um, and just um, yeah, be a part of the community. We moved to South Shields, we felt that was where God was calling us to um, and it's just been amazing so far, like we felt so welcomed by everybody in the church um, and really just yeah, being amazed at what God's been doing in our lives, but the lives of the church and beyond as well. Um, and um, we're just really excited. I think um, some of you will know, but maybe not all of you. Um, in September, we're going to be launching the new site of Life Vineyard Church in South Shields. So that's really exciting. Um, and we're kind of dreaming and praying and planning about what that's going to look like. So um, yeah, it's been a, a wonderful adventure so far. And we're looking forward to all that God's got in store. So that's a little bit about me, but let's get back to to the preach for today. Um, So um, in the kind of talks that we've been looking at, like I said, Jesus um, gave the Apostle John some messages to share to some seven very specific churches in the first century Asia. And he wrote them down and they form what is now, or part of what is now known as the book of Revelation in our Bibles. And these churches, they were some of the earliest churches, um, and they were just really navigating what does it mean to be a Christian, what does it mean to follow Jesus, what does it mean um, to be believers in this kind of pagan Roman society. And what we've seen as we've looked at the message that Jesus had for these churches is that while he commended them and said, well done, and as Kerry shared with us last, <laughs> last week, the church in Philadelphia was completely kind of a well done church, um, uh, But he also kind of had some warnings and some kind of rebukes and some things that they needed to change. And like I said, these were for for real churches, for specific churches, but the message is also true for us today. So it's as applicable for us um, as well and some things for us to learn and to to take away and to to reflect on. So today's church, like I said, the one we're going to look at is the church in Laodicea. So this was located in modern-day Turkey, um, as you can see on the map. Um, But unlike the other churches where Jesus gave the well done and then the kind of warning and the rebuke, um, with Laodicea, he just cut right to the chase. There was no well done. Um, There was a rebuke and there was a warning. But there was also a hope-filled invitation. So it's not all bad news. So some of the churches that we've looked at um, would have been affected by persecution. Some of them, um, their issues were around false teaching. Some of them were kind of idolatry um, surrounding kind of the paganism culture that they were in. But with Laodicea, um, the church there was affected by spiritual complacency. Now, when I first became a Christian, which is kind of over 10 years ago now, um, God gave me a picture of a tightrope um, between two skyscrapers. Now, excuse the photo, um, but this was the best I could find in terms of what I felt this picture was. Um, and 
it, God was showing me that kind of as I was starting out in my Christian walk, um, I was quite tentative. I was on this tightrope. I felt like I had the Holy Spirit with me. He was balancing me. He was my safety net. But what, what, I, what I saw in this picture was I was getting, as I kind of gained more and more confidence, I felt like I could do it. I didn't really need as much support around me um, and kind of let, letting go of those kind of balance weights and the safety nets. Um, but God, what God was telling me in that was that that was a false perception, that I shouldn't become complacent and start to do things in my own strength and ignore him, and that I needed to remain dependent upon him and his Holy Spirit in the comfortable times as well as in the difficult times. Um, And as I was kind of preparing for this preach, I was just reminded of that picture and just felt it would be um, helpful to share. And um, as we go on, hopefully you'll you'll see why as well. But let me read from our passage for tonight, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into it. So this is from Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you may become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let me, let me just pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message that was written down 2,000 years ago. We thank you that your word is true today, it is living and active, and that what was written for that church in Laodicea, Lord, that we, you have a message for us tonight from that as well, Lord. Would our hearts be open to receive that tonight? Holy Spirit, would you be at work in us? Would we be um, open to what you want to say and do tonight, Lord? Would we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing? Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So first of all, we're going to look at the judgment. Like I said, it's, it's not a very easy passage to read. Um, so let's just get straight to it and look at the judgment. Um, and the first thing I want to look in terms of the judgment is who is the judge. So the words spoken that John records are from Jesus. And John describes Jesus here as the Amen as the faithful and true witness, as the ruler of God's creation. Now, when I was looking into it, um, I found out that amen is a word that is actually really closely associated with truth and faithfulness. 
So Jesus spoke truth and is truth as we read in other places in the Bible. We read that he is the way, the truth and the life. And John emphasizes this point um, because he talks about Jesus being the amen, but then he says he is also the faithful and true witness. So he's basically saying he's faithful and true and he's faithful and true. He really wants us to get this. Um, that there's no way of getting around the fact that Jesus, what Jesus says is the truth. There's no arguing with him that our way is right, that we've got it figured out, that we don't need him. Um, so that's the first point. The second is also that he is the ruler of God's creation, that he has this authority um, that has been given to him. And at the end of the passage, as we'll get to, um, Jesus invites us to be a part of that and to join him in that. So that's who, who's speaking. But then what does he say? And it's in this context of Jesus being and knowing truth that he then judged the church in Laodicea um, as being neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. And that was in terms of their actions, and he really wished that they were one or the other. He said, you know, um, I wish you were one or the other. And to help us understand what this meant, what was going on, what did he mean by that, we need to kind of take ourselves back to first century Laodicea. Now, this city didn't have any spring waters of its own, which I guess was quite unusual. But what happened was the Romans had built an aqueduct. So there was water in a town about five miles away called Hierapolis. And they transferred that water five miles from there down to Laodicea. Um, but the water that was coming out of Hierapolis was hot spring waters. And by the time that travelled five miles to Laodicea, well, it wasn't hot anymore. I mean, it wasn't cold. It was this kind of lukewarm tepid, probably pretty disgusting from what I've kind of uh, read and what you can imagine. Um, and the language, therefore, that Jesus chose to speak about this church would have been really familiar and understood. That sense of distaste would have been really felt by Jesus. Um, so like, like the images say here, that lukewarm, imagine like a bottle of water on a day like this that's been set outside. It's not very tasty, is it? It's kind of a bit disgusting. Um, so that's the kind of lukewarm taste. But then you had the city of Heropolis with these hot springs. And the hot springs, they were really valued because they brought healing. Um, and they had these kind of, you go to the hot springs if you weren't well, and they had these healing properties. But then in contrast to the hot springs, there was also in Colossae, they had really cold spring water. And imagine on a hot day, you've got that cold, cold spring water that really quenches your thirst and brings the refreshment that you need. So what Jesus was saying to the church was that their actions were neither bringing the kind of healing properties um, to those that were hurting, and nor were they bringing that life-giving water that Jesus offers as well. And in fact, their lukewarm actions were probably a reflection of a lukewarm heart, and they weren't having that kind of kingdom impact. They were self-satisfied with life, and they weren't really bothering to live out their faith in the way that Jesus wanted them to. And this was having a destruction, kind of destructive um, uh, impact on the church because they weren't acting in the way that Jesus wanted them to. They weren't living out their faith in that way. And so that would have had an impact in terms of people coming to faith, being introduced to Jesus, coming and being a part of that church and coming to kind of really know Jesus himself. And this warning to the church, we've got to take on ourselves as well, not to allow ourselves to become indifferent um, to be alert and to keep our faith alive and our hearts burning for Jesus. You know, just as we were worshipping then, like, this is the king that we worship. This is the king that we are here to serve um, and to fall in love with. Um, so, yeah, we'll have more on that in a bit. Um, 
But yeah, because they were lukewarm, Jesus said that he was about to, and that's the, that's the key, a key phrase, about to spit them out of his mouth. But not yet. So there was time to repent. There was time to change. So there was hope there. And rather than being spat out, what he was offering, as we're going to look at in a minute, is the opportunity to come and eat with him. So why did Jesus say all of this? He judges the church for their self-sufficiency, for their wealth, and the fact that they were determined that they didn't need anything from anyone. But Jesus, who, like I said, is the truth and knows the truth and speaks the truth, he said otherwise. He wants them to know that they were pitiful and poor and blind and naked in spirit and that they needed him. Like That's the point, that they needed him, that he alone was sufficient for them. And I understand that of the seven churches that are in um, this book, part of the book of Revelation, Laodicea was by far the wealthiest. It was known for its banking industry, for its woolen industry and manufacture, and apparently they had this kind of medicinal eye salve for like sore eyes and had this kind of healing properties in that. So they were very wealthy, they were very sufficient. And apparently um, there was an earthquake in 60 AD um, and Rome had offered kind of to come and give help or whatever, I don't know, support to help them after this earthquake. And they refused. They felt that they were invincible and they didn't need any, any help, thank you very much, from the mighty Rome. So the achievements, the success, that kind of culture would have been ingrained not only in the citizens of the city, but in the believers as well. They felt self-sufficient in so many ways that really it was hard for them to recognize their need for Jesus. And Jesus warns his disciples, if we go back into Matthew 6, you know, that we shouldn't store up material treasures on earth, but rather spiritual treasures um, in heaven. That we cannot serve both God and money. That the Laodicean church, therefore, was relying on the seen material wealth and status and accomplishment much more than the unseen eternal treasures in Christ. And wealth and all that comes with it can give us a false sense of security and it can breed complacency. One thing that I think we all saw in the pandemic um, was just that the foundations, particularly in those early stages, the foundations that we'd all built around, the trust that we had, you know, it was all gone. And there is one thing, one person that offers true stability, and that is Jesus. Now, at the time, um, Emperor Domitian was in charge of of the Roman Empire, and um, he was kind of persecuting Christians. So it might also have been um, the fact that um, the Laodiceans would have felt, oh, you know, maybe it's better just to have a private faith. Let's not be so open about our faith um, because that might have a negative impact on our businesses or the economy. Um, people might not want to trade with us anymore. But that was acting out of a fear of losing their status and their money. And the clear rebuke from Jesus shows us that he didn't want the church in Laodicea to have this lukewarm faith. He wanted them to be open about their faith. He wanted them to be able to um, bring the Holy Spirit into situations and bring healing. He wanted them to offer that life-giving water um, that Jesus has to offer, and they weren't doing that. So that's the judgment. But thankfully, that's not where the story ends. And after the judgment comes this amazing, wonderful invitation. 
Firstly, Jesus gives counsel. In his kindness and his grace, he offers counsel and wisdom, and he gives them a chance to repent and to make things right. And he deliberately chooses um, three ways that they can do this, which they would have understood in terms of their culture. If you remember what I said, their wealth and their kind of society was built on it, was that um, the banking industry, the woolen industry, and this eye salve. And so Jesus takes those and gives the believers an alternative perspective. So instead of gaining their wealth from banking, Jesus called them to buy from him gold refined in the fire. He's not really talking about gold, um, as in like the weighty gold, um, but about spiritual treasure that comes from allowing ourselves to be purified and refined by him. When we give the things that we're holding on to to him and let him have his way in our lives and in our hearts. Secondly, instead of being clothed in the latest fashions, and apparently um, that included kind of big, black, rich, woolen cloaks, um, Jesus called them to buy instead from him white clothes to wear. And the white represents Jesus' spiritual righteousness. Only by putting on his righteousness, made possible through his blood that was poured out for us on the cross, can we be made right before Father God. It's only through Jesus and his righteous life that our own sin and shame can be covered. And then thirdly, Instead of becoming proud of the healing eye ointment um, that the city produced, Jesus called them to buy from him salve to put on the eyes. He wanted them to be able to open their eyes fully and to see the truth of the kingdom of God, to see that they are dependent upon God and in need of him daily, to see fresh revelation through his word and through the Holy Spirit as they deepen their relationship with him. And I've known this in my own life. You know, um, before I became a Christian, I argued away with God for years about the way that I was living, saying, no, it was right. You know, there's nothing wrong with the way that I was living. And one day, his Holy Spirit just opened my eyes to the truth. And I surrendered and I gave my life to him. And on other occasions, I've just known um, the Holy Spirit show me how he sees people, how he loves people, particularly those people that other people have written off. And he's led me to serve them um, and to be his hands and feet. So how were the Laodiceans, how were they to buy these things? Were they to buy them with cash or were they to buy them with goods? No. It was through surrender. Surrender of their self-sufficiency, surrender of their self-righteousness, and recognizing Jesus truly as their Lord and Savior on an ongoing basis of daily giving themselves to Jesus and laying their lives down for him. And as a side note, Tom did a really, really good preach um, on the 19th of June in one of our morning services, which you can pick up again on our podcast and YouTube, um, but really exploring this area in more depth. So if you want to kind of look at that, um, I'd really recommend it. But getting back to tonight, so in terms of that beautiful invitation from Jesus, he counsels and he also loves. Jesus reminds the church in Laodicea and he reminds us that he loves them And that because he loves them, he rebukes them. As a loving parent disciplines their children, not out of anger or frustration or punishment, but out of that love for their well-being and development and their desire to see their behavior change from the inside out. And Jesus encourages them that it's not too late to be sincere, 
to be convicted and repent. So Jesus counsels, he loves, and finally he invites us into relationship. He offers an amazing, intimate invitation to hang out with him, to eat with him. But he doesn't force his way in. The Laodiceans had to hear his knock and be willing to open the door to him. And as with them, the same for us as well. He announces he is here. He is knocking at the door. And that is the door to our hearts. If we hear his voice, even if it's distantly or quietly, open the door, invite him in, and he will eat with us, just as he did with the outcast tax collectors, Zacchaeus and Matthew. But we have to be willing. Do we want to be associated with Jesus? To be known as one who eats with him? Are we prepared to give it all up, our status, our social acceptance, even our wealth? Or are we so busy having a good time that we don't even hear his knock? The choice is ours. He allows us to decide. He doesn't force his way in. Do you want to live this life in all its intended fullness with him, with the one who created you, the one who knows you, the one who is faithful and true? Or... Do you want to put yourself first and live for the allure of this world, for the culture, for self-achievement, for wealth and for status? I'd really encourage each of us to spend time on our relationship with Jesus, just as we would with a friend, to draw close to him, to listen to him as we worship, as we read his word. Maybe we journal or we can go for a walk or, you know, as we serve Let our actions become a heartfelt response of an overflow of his love for us. And as we do that, we will bring those healing properties. We will bring that refreshment from Jesus for those around us. So as I wrap up, and perhaps the band can just come up, um, we've looked at the judgment and the invitation of Jesus. Finally, I just want us to look briefly at the wonderful reward that he offers Not only will they gain a beautiful relationship with Christ, not only will their deeds um, to others be a reflection of his love and have a kingdom impact, but, he says, if they repent, if they open the door of their hearts to him, they will be victorious. And he says that he will give them the right to sit at his throne, just as he too was victorious and sat down with his father on his throne. Imagine that for a moment. This church that was so repugnant to Jesus that he was about to spit them out of his mouth, that same church, he's now saying, can be rewarded with a place next to him on his throne. That he will give them authority so that they can rule and reign on his behalf. How amazing and how incredible is that? How generous, how gracious. And that same reward is offered to us today too. If we accept Jesus' righteousness, if we lay down our lives and allow him to purify and refine us, if we allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the truth, and if we repent and open the door of our hearts to him, he will delight in this restored relationship and give us such treasure, reward, authority and status that we could never imagine without him. The question for tonight is, are you in?